It's so nice to see you today. We've been talking about breaking free. You know, there's things that just have a hold of our life and we can't seem to get out of it. And one of the major things that I see that holds us back in life is pride, pridefulness. How do I get that out of my life? I think there's a good pride. The Bible talks about two types of pride. There's a godly pride, a good pride, an ungodly pride, you know, something negative. When I think of good pride, self-respect. That's good, right? Dignity. That's good. You want to have dignity. It says love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't have a love for myself, then how am I going to love my neighbor? And I have to really love myself to love my neighbor as myself if my goal is for it to be a loving thing toward them, if I want it to be a positive thing. Pride, positive pride. Like uh, kids, if you have kids, don't you sometimes get proud of your children? Like they bring home a good report card and you say, wow, I feel so proud of them. You can feel pride about the church. Like I'm proud to be a part of this church. There's all kinds of things that you can feel proud about in a positive way. The Apostle Paul in Scripture, he writes things that shows that he's proud of what the people are doing in the churches that he started. So you want to have that type of pride in your life, but there's also a negative pride. And the negative pride would be when I'm being selfish, I only care about myself, stubborn. I'm not willing to admit that I'm wrong. That would be pride gone wrong, right? That's not positive pride. That's negative pride. When you're prideful, you'll tend to be judgmental because you think you're superior than somebody else. It's egotistic, it's arrogant, it's conceited. And it is damaging and it is destructive in the lives of people and in the hearts of people when we have this negative, destructive pride. The root of sin is pride. Pride is saying, I want what I want. I don't care what you want. I want what I want. I don't care what God wants. I want to be my own God, meaning I'm making the, my decisions for my life. That's the ultimate pride. And every sin that you do would be based on pride. You're choosing your way over what God says, over what's best for somebody else. Today, I want to do two things. I want to look at the damage of being prideful, the negative pride. How does it damage me? And then the second thing I want to look at is the happiness and the success and the fulfillment and discovering God's plan and purpose for your life when you break out of that mold of pridefulness, the benefit, the destruction and the benefit uh, when you break away. So let's look at that, the damage pride does. Number one, it causes conflict. The root of every conflict is because of pride. You know, if I'm fighting with my wife about something, it's because I want what I want she wants what she wants. That's conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels. Doesn't matter if you're fighting with your brother or sister, your uncle or aunt. Uh, conflict is when I want what I want, you want what you want, and you're going to have problems. It's being self-centered. It's thinking about me. It's not thinking about other people. It can happen in marriage. It can happen at work. It can happen between friends. Anytime 
what you want is more important than everybody else, you're being prideful. It's a form of arrogance. I think I'm better than them. It takes unselfish people to build a great marriage. It does. It takes unselfish people to build a great church. We can, we, it can't be all about me. I've got to be thinking about others. Pride causes us to hold on to grudges, to keep score, because I'm prideful. Proverbs 28, 25 says, he that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Pride makes you rude toward other people because you think you're better than them. You're acting arrogant. You'll take people that serve you for granted. You see an arrogant person. You see pride in situations where you're at the airport and how you deal with the person doing the tickets. That shows if you're prideful or not. You know, how do you treat the grocery clerk? How do you treat the waitress? When I hire people at the church, one of the things I like to do is take them out to dinner. And not just for the social aspect of eating together and having fun, but I also observe how they treat the waitress. I don't want anybody in my staff that thinks they're better than everybody else. I want them to show honor to that waitress who's serving them. You know, if, they're, if they come out arrogant or prideful toward that person, I, I, I'm never going to hire somebody like that. I don't care how competent they are. You can't have somebody like that. It, it, it kills the church. It kills people. It hurts. So how we treat people that are serving us shows our heart. Am I arrogant? Am I prideful? Or do I show those people even more respect than normal because of their, their serving? Pride makes us judgmental. You don't ever want to think that you're better than somebody else. You'll be unmerciful. In Matthew 7, 5, it says, Take the log out of your own eye first, and then you'll be able to see and take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, pride causes me to not see my mistakes. But boy, I can point at you. I can point at you. I don't see mine, but boy, I can point my finger at you. And we want to be humble. The, the hardest words for a prideful person to say is, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. If you say, that sounds like me. It's hard for me to say, I'm sorry. It's hard for me to say, I was wrong. It's hard for me to say, please forgive me. Then you have a pride issue. It's a real issue. See, we think... If we admit our mistakes, people are going to think less of me. It's actually the opposite. When you can admit when you're wrong, it endears people to you. It, may, it makes them feel that they have a trust with you. It makes them feel like they can come to you. It's honest. It's upfront. It's humble. People respect that. If you want your kids to respect you, you have to be able to say, oh, I'm sorry I was wrong. I blew that one. Please forgive me. If you have too much pride to say that to your children, you're doing more harm than good as a parent. And their emotions, they have to be able to know that when mom or dad did it wrong, that they can admit it, that the parents can admit it, and it teaches them to be able to do the same thing. See, nobody expects you to be perfect, but they do expect you to be honest. They do expect you, expect you to be authentic. Every time you have a conflict, you know, the secret of that conflict is to swallow your pride. 
Swallow your pride and seek forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you. Ask the person to forgive you. Say, I'm sorry. The second thing is, it prevents personal growth. If I'm prideful, I won't listen to you, so I won't grow. If the only person I'm listening to, to is me, guarantee failure, right? Because I'm never going to get any better than what I am. The only way I can grow is I've got to be able to take input from people other than myself. I can't have that mindset that I know it all. See, what's your goal? Is your goal to look smart or to be smart? If your goal is to look smart, you'll put on a front and act like you know the answer even if you don't. If your goal is to be smart, you'll say, oh, I don't know, and you'll seek the answer. You'll be honest if you really want to be smart. Pride will make you unteachable. I'd rather not know it and admit it and learn than to pretend like I know it and wait till I get home and get on the internet and find out the answer. So that way I can come back the next day and act like I always knew. That's pridefulness. That's arrogance. We don't need to be that way. Pride will keep you from growing. You can learn from anybody if you, write, if you ask the right questions. If you ask the right questions, you can learn from your enemies. You can learn from people you don't like. You can learn from people that don't like you. But it takes humility to humble yourself and ask the questions and learn. In fact, you are more apt to learn from your critics than you are from your friends. Let me tell you why. You guys are my friend. You know, so whatever my character flaws are because you guys love me, you know what you do? You just kind of overlook that. That's just Jimmy. That's just Jimmy. That's just who he is. You, you overlook those things because you love me and I'm your friend. And that's what you do with friends. But what happens is if someone's a critic of you, if they don't like you, they get upset they're more likely to take something about you that's true and try to stab you with it, to hurt you. You can actually learn more from them. Now, their intent is evil because they're trying to cause harm, but you listen to them, and you think, I wonder if there's truth to that. Then you talk to your friends. Hey, is there any truth to this? Don't tell them who it came from. You know, don't tell them it came from a critic, somebody that they know dislikes you. You just ask your friends, hey, is this an area I could grow in? And your friends are going to think like, wow, that guy's really perceptive. He finally sees this thing in his life that we've all seen all this time. I'm telling you, you can learn more from your critics than you can from your friend. You might not appreciate the way they say it. You might not want to hang out with that person. But if you listen, you can learn great things. Look at Hebrews 11.2. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. The only way you're going to be wise is to humble yourself, to learn, to learn from other people. Look at Proverbs 10.17. Anyone willing to be corrected is on the pathway to life. If you say, I want to be corrected, you're on the pathway to life. You're heading in the right direction. Anyone refusing has lost his chance. How willing are you to be corrected? Are you teachable? Or are you stuck in a rut? I like having a second chance. 
Anyone refusing has lost his chance. Anyone willing to be corrected is on the pathway of life. I want a second chance. I want to be on the pathway of life. I want to be corrected on how to have a better marriage. I want to be corrected on how to help my finances, on addictive behavior, on parenting. That work. If I'm too prideful, I would never seek out help on marriage. If I'm prideful, I'd never seek out help on my finances. If I'm prideful, I would never seek out help on the addiction I'm struggling with. If I'm prideful, I won't seek out help at work. If I'm prideful, I won't seek out help on how to be a better parent. You won't. Why? Because you're prideful. And pride is usually tied in with insecurity. You feel insecure, so you're trying to, so it's now a touchy subject, what they're talking about. Number three, it produces anxiety. The greatest source of stress in your life is your own preoccupation with yourself. When my eyes were always on me, it's going to make me stressful. What I mean by this is you get nervous, worried, and stressed if you're always thinking about how I look. How do I appear? How am I acting? How does this sound? You know, the way I'm talking, the way I'm dressed. That creates a miserable life. You're always concerned about how everybody is perceiving you. I want to have my mind think about other people. If I spent more time thinking about you instead of thinking about myself, a lot of that stress, worry, anxiety would be gone. You're other focused. But when you're too focused on yourself, it creates stress. Our culture teaches you that it is about you. In advertisements, it's all about you. And our culture teaches image. The image is how do I want to portray myself to be? It doesn't have to be real. It's just a fake image. Like, I want people to think of me like this. Why? Because if they knew the real me, they might not like me. God is not concerned about your image. He is concerned about your character. That's what you want to be concerned about. Image is how I act like I am on the outside. Okay? Character is who are you on the inside. What type of person are you really? That's what God's concerned about. In Proverbs 29, 25, it is dangerous to be concerned with what other people think of you. Why is that dangerous? Because this, if I'm too worried about what you guys think about me, okay, I'll be manipulated. I'll conform, okay, even if it's unhealthy to conform. If I'm too worried about what, you know who I want to worry about? God. God, what do you think about me? That's all that matters. God, what do you... Now, I'll do what you want me to do, but I can tell you this. If I try to make everybody here happy, you'll get upset. I'll try to make you happy, then they get upset. I'll try to make... You can't live like that. There's only one person that matters. That's God. God, what would make you happy? Okay, I'm going to live for an audience of one. I'm going to live for an audience of one. I want to live the type of life that's going to make God happy. I'm going to pursue what he wants for my life. I'm not going to worry about what everybody else is thinking about me. It's dangerous. I'll get manipulated. When you want to please other people, you'll even do the things that you know are wrong in order to fit in. We see it with high school kids all the time, but they're not the only ones that do it. Adults will do things that are wrong to fit in. If you're always worried about how you look, how you feel, how other people think about you, 
you lose your life. You lose your life trying to please other people. Also, when you're worried about what other people think, you're not going to be authentic. You're not going to be real. You're going to be constantly a fake. Constantly a fake. Because you don't have the freedom to be yourself. Pride is often a cover-up for guilt. A lot of people, they feel guilty, and to cover up their guilt, they act prideful. They really are suffering with regrets and shame and that type of stuff. But they show it in pride. Look at Proverbs 20, 27. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. You can't hide from yourself. You want to be honest is what it's saying. Be honest. Just be honest with yourself. Number four, it angers God. Pride makes God angry. In James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes pride. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. What is pride? Pride is saying, I'm going to be my own God, which means I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. It has nothing to do with what God wants. It has nothing to do with what you want. I'm just going to do what I want. What's best for me is best for me. What I think is best for me is best for me. If there was one Christ-like quality, let's say God said, you can't have them all, but you get to pick one Christ-like quality, just one. What would you pick? Humility. Humility. Because being humble means I know I'm not all that, so I'm trusting in you and relying on you. Pride means I think I'm all that. Humility is the hallmark of maturity. The more emotionally mature you are, the more humble you are. The more insecure you are, the more prideful you are. Pride is insecurity. You see world leaders, or maybe they're not world leaders, but they're national leaders, and some of them have all these things all over them to prove to people that they're, like, important. But you look at the superpowers, the the leaders of superpowers, they just dress normal. They don't wear, you know, all this type of stuff because they're secure in their position in the world. But the little countries, sometimes they're putting on all this stuff to make themselves look big. Look at me, it's insecurity that does that. If you don't feel important, you'll do things to try to make people say, I'm important. Look at me, I'm important. If you're secure, you don't, you don't have that need. You already feel confident. In James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, pray that God will humble you. Why? It's a command. You don't have to pray for God to humble you. It's a command. It's just something you do. You choose to be a humble person. You choose to think about other people. How do you humble yourself? You express a dependency on God. You know, in America, we have the Declaration of Independence. But that's not what he's saying. You want a declaration of dependence. I'm declaring that I'm dependent on God. That's what it means. I want to de- I'm dependent on God. To lead a church, it's scary. I'm not smart enough. The Bible says God will hold a teacher in a church more accountable for what he teaches. So I'm in a position of influence. And how I influence you, God judges strictly. In Scripture it says, 
who's ever in this position to influence. That's scary. As a pastor, I have to humble myself and say, God, I need your help. Guide me in how I influence people. Because I know that the Bible says I'm judged more strictly because of that influence. Especially when you're saying it's from God. When you're saying it's from God, you better take it seriously and really make sure as a pastor that you're really trying to seek out exactly what Scripture says. So let's look at how to live humbly. Number one, first you have to admit, admit my sins honestly. If I'm going to be a humble person, I first have to admit my sins. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes, this is Proverbs, a man who refuses to admit, admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. I've got to, first of all, be able to admit it. If I'm so arrogant, if I'm so prideful that I can never admit when I'm wrong, I've got a serious problem. I want another chance. Here's how God works. I blow it. I say, oh, that was wrong. And then God says, okay, get up and you, you have another chance. Go for it. You go through life doing things. You blow it again. Oh, that was wrong. God says, let me give you a chance to go again. And you know what? It becomes an education. It becomes an education. But if you blow it and you can't admit it, what happens? You're never getting educated. Both people are blowing it along the way. Both people are blowing it along the way because we're human, right? We all mess up. But one person's getting educated along the way. They're learning, so they're getting better. They're becoming a better person. They're becoming more mature. The other person isn't getting educated along the way because they're never learning. They're never learning. They're too prideful to admit that they blew it. So if you're too prideful to admit that you blew it, you'll never work on it. You'll never make the changes that you need to make. God wants you to, to give you another chance and another chance because he wants you to succeed. He wants, he wants you to do well. Then number two, evaluate my strengths realistically. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. That's actually a lie. Okay, that's lying. You cannot be whatever you want to be. It's impossible. You cannot be whatever you want to be. And here's why. God made you to be the best you that he wants you to be. He didn't make you to be the best me. Only you can be you. And God has given everybody in this room gifts and talents. Okay? And your set of gifts and talents are not exactly like anybody else's. Why? Because only you can be the best you. He's given everybody in this room heart's passions towards certain things. And your heart's passion towards certain things is never going to be exactly like somebody else's. God has given everybody in this room different abilities. And your abilities are never going to be like everybody else's. And God has given everybody in this room a different personality type. And how he made you is going to sway what you're going to be successful in as well. And God has allowed each person here to have certain experiences. And those experiences of your past are going to be used for your future. Even the bad experiences. Even the bad experiences God will use for your future if you let them. You can get bitter or you can get better. 
If you choose to get better, even the bad experiences can be used for your good. You cannot be whatever you want to be, but if you take what God's given you, the gifts and talents, the heart's passion, the abilities, the personality that you've gotten, your past experiences, and you use them, you can be the best you that you could ever imagine. And it would be fantastic. And you finally find your niche in life. You might say, well, I want to be a rock star. If you're not gifted, it's never going to happen. Okay. Now, I have to tell you, growing up, every fall, me and my friends, we played football. Okay. Every winter, we played basketball. Every spring, we played baseball. My dream was to be a professional athlete. There was just one problem. I'm not good at football, basketball, and baseball. <laughs> Didn't matter how much I dreamed. I'm just not good at it. I'm not. It's never going to happen. So it's God wants you to be the best you that you can be, and you have to have a realistic evaluation of your strengths. This is what I'm good at. Look at Romans 12.3. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities. He's saying, don't exaggerate. Look, what are you good at? Why is he saying this? Because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to get a hold of, this is what I'm good at. That's what I should be doing. I'm good at this. Why don't I do this? Humility is not denying your strengths. You're good at that. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> that's, not hum that's false humility. Hum uh, humility is if you play the violin really well and somebody says, that was really good, you can say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because in your mind, you might know, I know I'm pretty good at playing the violin. That's why I love it so much. I'm wired this way. Thank you. That's not being arrogant. But false humility is to act like you're not good, so they say, yes, yes you are, yes, you are. That's, that's not it. But being humble is also being honest about your weaknesses, and that's the key. Humility, like you can say, hey, I'm good at this. I think I'm a pretty good coach. I think I am. I coach the high school team over here. I think I'm a pretty good coach. I, I'm in a sport where we don't have a kids program feeding into them, and by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're beating the teams that have that. I think I'm a good coach. You know, there's nothing wrong with you saying, I think I'm good at something if you think you are. That's not being arrogant. You know, but arrogance is when you can't admit your mistakes, when you can't admit when you're wrong. You know, I admit I talk too much. And this, and I'll be done in about two more hours. No, no, no. But, but you have to know, yeah, you know, you have to be able to admit the things that you're not good at. In Galatians 6.4, it says, each man should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. You take pride in yourself, but you're not comparing yourself to other people. Like, if I compare myself to somebody else and they're better than me, I'm going to feel discouraged, right? I don't think that's what God wants. But then the opposite, if I compare myself to somebody else uh, that I'm better than, I'm going to feel prideful. That's not it either. I want to compare myself to me and say, am I really doing the best I can do? Am I doing the best I can do with what I have, with what I have? You might say, well, if I had more money, I could do this and this and this. Well, can you do the best you can with what you have? Yeah? Okay, then you're good. Am I doing the best I can 
with what I have. And you can take pride in that if you're doing the best you can with what you have. But don't compare yourself with other people. You know why? Because you're not them. Don't compare your wife with somebody else's wife. Don't compare your husband with somebody else's husband. Don't compare your kids with somebody else's kids. Don't do that. They're not them. You are only you. Nobody can do your job. Let me share something. If you don't become the best you that you can be, or if you don't do what you're supposed to do based on your gifts and talents, you know what? It will never be done. It will never be done. Because if I don't do what God wants me to do with my life, there's not going to be another Jimmy taking my place. Because whoever is doing something, it's going to be someone that's different. different. Only I can make the impact on this world that I was meant to make. Only I can. Only I can make the impact on my kids the way that I was meant to. Only I can. Nobody else. Only you can make the impact in this world that you were supposed to make. Which means, if you don't make that impact that you were made, meant to make, it will never happen. God has his will that is unchanging, but he also has his desired will. God desires that each of you use your gifts and talents and everything he's given you to make a positive impact in this world. That this world's a better place because you existed. That's God's desire. The world's a better place because you're here, because you were born. That's God's desire. But if you don't do it, it will not happen. It cannot happen because only you can do what you were meant to do. So God has great plans for us. He wants to see great things happen. You are not here by accident. You were not born by accident. God knows exactly the DNA that you needed to be here. Your parents might say that you were an accident. You weren't. I don't know. I don't know. It just uh, I don't know about you guys, but my kids got here by accident. Um, you might even have been, I don't know your background or anything about your parents, but I know this. God made you to be you because he wants you to make an impact in this world. Number three, enjoy my successes gratefully. That's humility. Being grateful for what God has, has done. You want to have that. When things are going good, you know, and you feel like, I did a good job. Uh, be grateful. Be grateful for what God has allowed you to experience. There's two pride busters in your life. One is everything I have is a gift. So my wife's a gift. My kids are a gift. My health is a gift. Uh, everything. You can just go ministry, the church family. Everything is a gift from God. I had no control over where I was born. I had no control over where I would live, where I, you know, who my parents were. Um, the freedoms I have in this country, that's a gift. Because I had no control over being born in this country. Okay, there's so many things. It's just God did it. God did it. What that does is it helps me be grateful to him for success instead of grateful to me. Because you say, well, I earned it. You don't know what I did. There were so many things that, that God allowed in your life for that to happen. It was not just about you. You actually chose 
I mean, you, you might have tried, but there's so many things. We have so many privileges. Everybody in this room has so many privileges, especially if you're born in this country compared to the world. And, you know, we need to thank God for every good thing that happens. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you've accomplished something on your own? What it's saying is when you understand God's involvement in your life, it humbles you. So you're grateful, like, wow, God, thank you. Instead of, wow, I'm so proud of myself and all my accomplishments, God, thank you for allowing me to experience these things. The other thing that's a pride buster is one day I'm going to have to stand before God. One day you're going to have to stand before God. And you either lived a life saying, it's all about me, or you, but, but everything's going to be exposed. Everything's going to be exposed. You're either putting your faith in yourself being good enough to reach God, or you're putting your faith in God being good enough to reach you. That's it. Either you put your faith in, I'm good enough to reach God, or you put your faith in, God, I believe you're good enough to reach me. In spite of the fact that I blow it, in spite of the fa- fact that I mess up, I know because you sent Jesus to die for my sins, that he paid off the penalty. It's what you did to reach me. That's my only chance. It takes humility to do that. Once a person thinks, well, why, why should you be in heaven? Well, you know, I've never killed anybody. Okay, well, that just means you're not the worst of the worst, right? Okay, uh, I've never stolen. I've never committed adultery. You start going through it. You know, you can build up a resume of why you deserve in. I'll tell you what. As wonderful as Mother Teresa was, she still sinned. No one's perfect. Everybody falls short. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs to recognize, and Mother Teresa would tell you that. (laughs) You know, she of all people would say, we need God. Put your faith in God. You know, the whole point is, I'm not good enough. I need to turn to God. Someday you're going to stand before God, and every secret in your life is going to be exposed. Why wait till then? Why not go to God now and say, God, forgive me for this thing that I'm doing or this thing I've done, or, and get forgiveness and get restoration now? Why live another day with regret about something you've done? or shame, or guilt? Why live another year with some sort of shame, regret, or guilt about something you've done? Why 10 years? Why not? You know it's going to be exposed anyway. You know you're going to stand up before God. Why not beginning right now deal with your regrets, your shame, your guilt, and have a happy life? Have a happy life. Why not now decide the rest of my days are going to be the best of my days? You don't have to wait till you stand before God and say, okay, now it's exposed. These are the guilts and the shames that I've been suffering with in my heart for the last 20 years. And he says, you know, you could have dealt with that 20 years ago with me and enjoyed life. You could have enjoyed living. Don't put it off. God wants you to have that freedom now. And then number four is serve others unselfishly. This is the greatest antidote to pride. It's giving yourself for others. If you feel 
arrogant or prideful, what the best thing you can do is find somebody that's hurting and start serving them. Start helping other people. Boy, that would change you. See, there's an epidemic of depression around, uh, among young adults. A lot of it has to do with self-centeredness. So much introspection. Instead of thinking about others, when you get your eye, eyes off the circumstances and onto the needs of other people, it's amazing what that can do in your life. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself, not equal. Do you hear that? It says don't consider others. It didn't say consider others equal to you. It says consider others better than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. See, humility, it's not thinking poorly of yourself. Humility is just thinking about other people. You start thinking about others. You know, you think about what do they need. You know, it's not thinking less about, it's not thinking less of me, it's thinking less about me. And instead, I'm thinking about you. That's what it means to be humble. Jesus said, lose your life to find it. How do you lose your life to find it? He's talking about serving others in that passage. It's about serving others, caring about the needs of others. And then number five, depend on Jesus continually. That's the heart of humility. It's expressing that dependency on God. You know, God... I need you. I can't do this without you. I need your help. You're trusting and you're depending on God. There's only one way that you can do that is to say, God, I'll do it your way. In Psalms 10:4, wicked people are proud. They do not look for God. There is no room for God in their thoughts. That's what God calls wicked. They're proud people. They don't look for God. They don't even have room for God in their thoughts. Jesus says the opposite. Actually, in Proverbs, this is Solomon, and he says this. True humility and fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. Wow. Would you like riches, honor, and long life? He's saying humility is the key. Humility is the key. If you want to be honored, if you want long life, riches, humility. I think a humble person is probably going to be more apt to get the raise you know, someone that, you know, that, you can, that has that type of character. God wants to bless your life. God wants to do the best for you. But sometimes it's our own pridefulness that we sabotage ourselves. We sabotage ourselves with a pride. You can never earn your way into heaven. It's a gift. You humble yourself. Can you imagine if you earned your way into heaven, everybody would be bragging about why they're there. You know, well, I made it here because of this, and I made it here because of that. And it would have nothing to do with God. It'd have nothing to do with God. It'd be 100% us. The whole reason behind faith is trusting in a power greater than myself. I'm trusting God. The cure for pride is the grace of God. The grace of God. God wants to do great things in our life. He wants us to be able to break free. To break free from anything, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. 
I've had to humble myself and say, you know what? I'm not God. I'll never be God. So God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to trust you. That's how you break through. That's how you get there. Let's pray. Dear God, we've been taught our lives to depend on ourselves. And Lord, we realize that we're not all that. We need you. And Lord, we're making a commitment to follow you. We're humbling ourselves. We're admitting that we don't know it all. We're not all wise. We need a power greater than ourselves. Lord, so we're trusting in you. We're asking you to guide our life so that we can have the great life that you want us to have, so that we can have great relationships, so that we can have fulfillment. Lord, you want to bless us. Help us not to sabotage ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we make these commitments. Amen.